Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com, one of uh, many SB Nation sites that are out there, over 300, I believe, uh, probably more than that by now. Uh, also hosted on JitteryMonkey.com and part of the Jittery Monkey uh, family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and uh, usually right now I introduce uh, my regular new temporary permanent uh, co-host, uh, Hoss Reuter. He'll be joining us a little bit later. But as I mentioned, Coronation is part of SB Nation, and uh, obviously we cover the Nebraska Cornhuskers. But up in uh, the great northwest, Washington State uh, Cougars, and they have CougCenter.com, so I encourage you to uh, to visit that because they know their stuff, especially when it comes to uh, Nebraska's new athletic director. So I'm joined by Jeff Newser, who is uh, from CougCenter.com. And uh, Jeff, welcome to the Five Heart Podcast. Thanks for taking some time to join us this week. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's let's get right down to it. Uh, congratulations on beating Colorado this past weekend. I know it was a, a tough one two weeks back losing to, to Cal, but but you bounce back. What's it like watching a good football team? <laughs> well, you guys got a lot more experience than we did once upon a time. I know things are uh, a little rockier for you now. Uh, now you took on uh, Mike Riley and, and, and his fun. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's been a long time coming. We, you know, I don't know how familiar Nebraska fans are with this, but we went through a very, very, very dark period uh, with a coach named Paul Wolf. And, uh, you know, we had had some success there at the end under Mike Price up until about, you know, 2003 or so at three straight 10-win seasons. Um, Bill Doba, his longtime defense coordinator, took over, was, had a really good first year, kind of got mediocre after that. Um, he kind of got pushed to retirement. Paul Wolf comes in and craters the program, like, to, like, worst in FBS kind of crater um, and so then Mike Leach comes in, takes a few years to get it rolling, but now we're uh, now we're going, and, and the air raid is uh, is an awful lot of fun. And I know you guys are uh, are very familiar with that from when he was at Texas Tech. So um, yeah, we're having a lot of fun, and we're just trying to enjoy it because uh, you know Wazoo, you never know when it's going to end. You mentioned obviously uh, both current coaches at, at uh, Nebraska and uh, Washington State, respectively. Let's talk first about uh, about the hiring of Mike Leach because he was kind of a controversial figure. So, what was the overall feeling when, when he was brought in a few years ago? Oh man, we were over the moon, and you know the business that. You know, our school has had a pretty long tradition of making cheap hires. Um, our best football coach was Mike Price. He came from Wheaton. Um, Paul Wolf came from Eastern Washington. So, and then Bill Doba was hired from within. So you had, you know, three straight coaches, two from, uh, you know, two from uh, the next level down from FCS, and then one that was hired from within who had been passed over for a number of head coaching jobs. Um, and so it was, it was you know, we kind of had a tradition of going cheap. And uh, Bill Moose, as you will find out, um, is not afraid <laughs> to, uh, to do things, to make bold moves, uh, to make a big splash. And um, he knew, you know, to sort of 
sort of jumpstart the program. He, he needed a big splash, and WSU went out and uh, and spent money in a way that they they literally have never spent money on coaching. Um, they paired that with a bunch of facilities improvements to entice him to come up here. Um, and so his track record of success um, really caused our fans to just not really care too much at all about some of the stuff that went on at Tech. Um, they were just, like I said, over the moon uh, at the idea that a successful coach would want to come to Pullman. It's typically considered or, or had been considered a place where um, you know nobody would come if not forced. And so uh, for him to come here and, and to be able to lure a guy like that up here um, was considered a really big coup by our fans. Um, it was a tough first few years. Uh, two out of the first three years, they only won three games each year. Um, and that caused a little bit of a little bit of discontent. But, you know, now that he's got it rolling, you know, people are, are just super excited. And, you know, the interesting thing was that, uh, you know, obviously Bill Moose took a little bit of a chance hiring him. Um, but, you know, he needed to he needed to make a splash to, to kind of invigorate the fan base. And, and to be honest, Mike Leach probably didn't have another uh, landing spot in the power five. And so, you know, it was sort of, a, a, a you know, a marriage of convenience in a lot of ways. Uh, Moose went down to Key West and made him feel great, made him feel wanted, made him feel needed, um, which, of course, was Leach's sort of biggest complaint at Texas Tech that the administration there uh, didn't really make him feel like like he mattered. And so, you know, Moose did that for him. And then, you know, he came up here, you know, took over a power five job that, you know, was real, real bad, had a pretty terrible roster, um, but had some things going for it, some facilities improvements coming down the pike. And so, uh, you know, so it worked out that way. And, and we're still pretty excited to have him as our coach. The other coach uh, that I want to talk about, obviously, is Mike Riley, because, you know, Washington State and, and, and the Pac-12, uh, very familiar with him and his time at Oregon State in Corvallis. What I mean, you talk about making a splash with Mike Leach, and I think across the board, you know, Nebraska fans were very apathetic when the name Mike Riley was was mentioned and announced as, as the new head coach. What was your takeaway? I know he's the nicest guy in in college football, um, but you know, from an opposing you know, fan base. What what was your takeaway of Mike Riley? And I I've never seen him being you know like I guess let me let me temper this a little bit. I don't think most people ever saw him being the answer at Nebraska. Do you think that he was brought in because of his nice guy stigma, just to and this I'm I'm, I'm compounding questions here, but but just to help you know get fans get the for lack of a better term, get the taste of Bo Pelini out of fans, you know, mouths because he was very toxic. Well, you know, if that, I mean, honestly, I don't know why Nebraska did what it did. I mean, you've probably got better insight into that, but I do know that Mike Riley, in terms of being a nice guy is the real deal. Um, you know, had a reputation out here for that, um, had a reputation as a, as a guy who got, a lot out of um, the talent that he had, which was, you know, and it's, uh, to be honest, it's, it's kind of, you know, I have a little bit of insight into that because in a lot of ways, Wayne State are sort of peer institutions. Um, they are, you know, basically the, considered, you know, the lesser of the two universities in their, in their state, um, recruit a lot of the same kinds of guys. And so, um, you know, you know, yeah, I mean, Mike Riley is really successful, you know, given all that. Um, you know, he was 
was never you know, really successful. I mean, Oregon State, you know, for uh, um, you know what they've done, what they what they accomplished under Mike Riley, you know, they never went to a Rose Bowl, you know, twice like WSU did. He always took the guys that, that he got and and got the most out of them, um, you know, and was going to go to a lot of bowl games and, you know, things like that. But he did Mike really about, wow, what a, what an incredible coach. You know, you just, I mean, you know, Dennis Erickson comes up there and, and takes him to a, I think a Fiesta Bowl is what it was, you know, gets a bunch of guys, you know. And so, I mean, that's a guy who's, who's you know, can take a program and really take it to the next level. You know, it was never the kind of thing where Mike Riley was, you know, taking it to a level where where you felt like, wow, this is he he's taking Oregon Oregon State and turning it into something different. Um, so when he got hired, I think we all just kind of looked at each other and went, you know, really, like, like not like, you know, I guess, I guess we just kind of all went, okay, you know, I mean, I, obviously he never had access to the kinds of players at Oregon State that he theoretically should have had access to in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So you know, if someone in Nebraska felt like you know, having giving him access to better players would um, allow him to perform, you know, at a higher level. Then okay, you know, but but it was just sort of like I don't know, like you just you, that seemed like he seemed like a guy who would probably finish his career at Oregon State. Um, they seemed like a good fit. You know, they were happy with him. He seemed happy. Um, you know, so when he left, I think everybody just kind of went okay. I guess you know maybe Nebraska knows something that we don't know. Um, and you know, you see Oregon state is sort of cratered without him under Anderson. Um, so that's a move that I, you know, I guess hasn't really worked out very well for anybody. Um, but you know, I, I, I could sort of see where Nebraska was going. It just was, I was surprised that it was so uninspired. I want to talk more about Riley and his potential future, but tell us a little bit more. You mentioned that, uh, our Nebraska's new athletic director, Bill Moose, uh, not afraid to open up the the checkbook a little bit uh, and make a splash. Tell us a little bit more about the guy. I understand that he farms. Obviously, that works very well uh, in Nebraska. But uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about the man behind the tie, or or you know, behind the the wheel of the John Deere, or whatever the hell it would be. The man of the car. Um, you know, he uh, he's uh, he's. Like I said, he's really good at spending money. Um, he's got a lot of ideas for building brands, and for you know building programs and making them legitimate. You know, it's hard to describe just how sort of behind Wazoo was uh, in terms of you know being a 21st century uh, you know Power Five football program. Um, you know, the best way I can describe it is you know when when Bill Miss took over uh, Martin Stadium, where you know where we play our games. Um, if you know, if you've ever been, and I've never been, but I've seen pictures. If you've ever been to like um, a large high school stadium in Texas, um, ours was a lot like that, except maybe with a video board. Um, the press box, the um, the president's suite, and I put that in, you know, air quotes. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it basically was like a large trailer, kind of sitting on some stilts up above the stands. I mean, it was, you know, it was a pretty shabby. Um, place and you know he kind of brought us into the 21st century first with uh, tearing that down and building uh, suites and club seats there weren't any <laughs> up until about you know whatever it was uh, seven eight years ago um, and we, uh, you know complete with a new press box and all that and then also oversaw the construction of a new football operations building um, which sits at the uh, 
what is that? The west, the west end of the stadium. Um, it's gorgeous. It's this, you know, you know, forty million dollar facility, um, sort of, you know, one stop shop that most, you know, Power Five programs have at this point. So um, now to do that, he had to take out, you know, about a hundred million dollars. I think think is is about the number hundred million dollars in bond bonding to do that. Um, and WSU did that largely on the uh, the profit of the new television contract in the Pac-12, and then also on forecasted revenues for the Pac-12 networks, which the conference owns um, wholly. And so, you know, they took out all that money, convinced the regents to uh, to allow them to do all that bonding, and really has transformed the program. Um, you know, Mike Leach cited that as a reason why he was willing to come to Pullman, um, along with Bill Moose's sort of unwavering support. Um, which, you know, Mike Leach definitely enjoyed. And so, um, you know, that's the thing that, that Bill Moose is really good at. Um, you know, other things that he might be a little less good at uh, um, is raising money. Uh, you know, he uh, the, the athletic department's running a pretty significant deficit. Um, fundraising has not kept up with the spending. And to be honest, he was on his way out here. Um, the president, he had a contract that ran for about two more years. The president sort of, uh, made it clear that he was not going to extend him, uh, was not going to give him more time unless, and, I mean, the sort of the natural logical progression is unless you, you know, in, in fundraising. And, you know, to be honest, Moose is a good talker. Um, he can sell a vision. He can sell branding. Um, he's, he's, he's got a good vision for where, um, for where a football program needs to go. Um, not as good at sort of mobilizing the troops to, to uh, do the other sort of smaller things. And he doesn't really get his hands dirty and that kind of stuff. And at this program, you definitely need to do that, um, you know, where they're not paying tons of money for tons and tons of uh, athletic department staff to, to do a lot of things. And so, you know, so it was kind of that. And then also, you know, he's kept really hands off with non-revenue sports in general. Um, as far as I know, he you know, didn't have his hands hands into those hires um he did have his hands in hiring our basketball coach which has been a train wreck um he went and hired ernie kent who he hired once at oregon um and ernie kent and pretty much mastered for four years so um and also by the way rolled him over every year um what you oh yeah one thing you'll you'll find out um when he hires people he likes to give them a five-year rolling contract that's his <laughs> standard contract for coaches and so at the end of every year, he either rolls them over or he doesn't. And what we've seen is that he basically rolls over everybody every year. Um, there was one coach, as far as we know, that never, that didn't get rolled over. And that was uh, the previous baseball coach didn't get rolled over a couple times. But um, the basketball coach, despite being uh, making a million and a quarter dollars a year and putting up uh, results that are on par with uh, one of our worst coaches in history about 15 years ago, uh, kept getting rolled over. So be prepared for that. Um, but, you know, if you have money to spend and you want a guy who's going to, you know, talk a really good game, make fans feel really good about the direction, um, and, and a guy who uh, knows what he wants, Bill Moose is your guy for sure. So what you're saying, uh, and obviously this is just a small fragment of, of your response there, but I need to try to get a job as an assistant coach on one of those forgotten sports like uh, curling or something like that and just get that rollover salary every year? Yeah, definitely, definitely something <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, if you can if you can get one of those jobs, he's probably going to not pay a whole lot of attention to you. I mean, there definitely was 
there definitely was a perception here that he cared about football and kind of sort of cared about basketball and really didn't care about anything else. I think he did care about the baseball team. Uh, I think there was sort of a soft spot there because the baseball pro- program had once been very, very good um, and was very, very good when he was in school. So he's, he's an alumnus of Washington State. Um, and so, you know, I think there was a soft spot for him to try and get the baseball program going. But, you know, in a lot of other ways, he just was kind of like, yeah, you never, as long as football's good, everything. And, and I mean, to some degree, that's true. You know, I think, um, you know, people who are football fans and follow athletic departments know that that's true to a certain degree. This kind of, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. But I do, I do think there was a bit of a criticism here that um, you know, he was so focused on football that, that he kind of didn't really um, take as much care as he should have uh, the situations in some other sports, particularly men's basketball. Well, I know, you know, as the Huskers go, so goes the state of Nebraska. So if he's, you know, focused or, or worried or concerned most, you know, energized, you know, focused most on, on football, I, I think, it, you know, the, the pulse of the, of the community is, you know, of the fans is that that's a positive because I don't think that uh, they felt comfortable with the, the previous regime and Sean Eichhorst uh, having, you know, being at the helm of that. Uh, one more question for you, Jeff. Uh, should uh, a Mike Riley be concerned uh, for his job? Because as you mentioned, you know, we've got a, a guy now in, in the AD uh, or sitting at the AD desk who doesn't mind opening up the checkbook and, and likes to make a splash. Should Mike Riley be concerned for his job? I know Moose has the go-ahead to eat the rest of that contract. Mike Riley should be really concerned because I don't know why you hire Bill Moose in October of unless you're hiring him to go hire a football coach. Right. Um, that's really the only thing that makes that really makes some sense. I mean, if you're, if you're hiring a guy away in October, you're hiring a way to go start putting a list together and go start putting out some feelers to bring in a new coach. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't know if Mike Riley gets worried about that just because Mike Riley's Mike Riley. You know, he seems to be a pretty uh, down-to-earth guy. He seems to, you know, a guy who, um, you know, went to the NFL and got canned there and, uh, or more, you know, more or less. And right. so, um, you know, I doubt he stays up at night and loses sleep over it. But, but yeah, I mean, if he's, you know, if he's concerned about losing his job, he's probably right to be concerned about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm sure Bill Moose got hired to hire a football coach. They looked at, you know, him, you know, what he built, helped build here at WSU with Mike Leach and said, okay, hey, Nebraska needs some of that. Um, and, you know, Bill Moose is not afraid, like I said, to make, a splash. He's not afraid to put his neck out a little bit. Um, the interesting thing, by the way, and I don't know how many of your fans know this, but he's only ever actually hired one football coach, and that's Mike Leach. Um, he didn't hire a coach at, at uh, Montana, and when he was at Oregon, uh, Mike Bellotti was already in place, having taken over for Rich Brooks. So, um, and then he didn't have his hand in hiring Chip Kelly. That was that was after he left. So, it, it is kind of weird that he he's, he's he kind of developed this reputation. Um, that actually, because I, I think of a lot of our fans, like, oh yeah, he's good at hiring football coaches, and then it's like, actually, you know, he's only ever hired one guy, and it's this guy. It was a really successful hire, but um, you know, it's it, it's kind of interesting that that's it. So, you know, I, I do think that he'll do his diligence to, um, you know, he's really big on branding and identity, um, and you, you know, Wazoo has had a long tradition of coaches, quirky coaches who throw the football all over the planet. 
um, from you know uh, you know Jim Walden to, to Mike Price. You know, I mean, it's to Dennis Erickson. We we've had a lot of coaches who throw the ball, so Mike Leach was a perfect fit. Um, I you know I'm sure he'll do his due diligence at Nebraska to kind of figure out who that next guy is who makes a good fit, who who is a good fit for you and uh, is going to go and and get that guy. And he's really good, man. When he sits down with you over a, over a cup of coffee or a beer or whatever, um, you know, saying the kinds of things that are going to fire you up and get you um, on his side and on board with what he's doing. So, you know, I think, I think Nebraska fans should be excited. I mean, I don't know that an AD hire ever gets you all, all that excited, but um, Bill Moose is, from what I can tell, is pretty different from the guy you had before. And, and uh, you know he knocked his last hire out of the park, so you know I think uh, there's pretty good to believe uh, you know that he could potentially do the same in Nebraska. I bet you Bill Moose is a coffee drinker if coffee is in fact for closers. Um, Jeff Newser, I want to thank you so much for your time and for joining us on the or joining me on the Five Heart Podcast. Uh, everybody else, make sure that if you want to uh, read a little bit more, I'm going to have a. a link to a terrific article uh, on kookcenter.com. Uh, it's from Brian Floyd, and it's uh, What You Need to Know About Bill Moose Leaving for Nebraska. That's the title. Uh, a lot of good stuff about uh, the man in that article as well. Uh, but, Jeff, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, who do who who's Wazoo got to this weekend? Arizona and the terrifying Khalil Tate. Um, so we'll see. Our defense is actually really, really, really good, which is weird. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if uh, we're kind of light and undersized. So, but we, you know, use our speed, and, and Khalil Tate's weapon is obviously his speed. So it's going to be interesting to see if uh, if we can bring that train uh, finally, or, or maybe that's the wrong metaphor. Bring bring that airplane back down to earth. I don't know. Bad metaphors. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, Nebraska's dealing with the trains uh, this week when they go to West Lafayette and take on the Purdue Boilermakers. And we'll be talking more about uh, that game. Of course, Nebraska coming off the bye week. We've got more on the Five Heart Podcast uh, coming up in just a moment. Again, thanks to uh, Jeff Neusser for kicking us off this week. And uh, check out the Washington State Cougars on SB Nation at CougCenter.com. More after this on the Five Heart Podcast. Hey everyone, Kevin Huntsberger here from my one two three cents the podcast and my one two three cents.com. Every Monday a new episode drops with the latest news and happenings in the world of professional wrestling. Head to the archives and listen to interviews with legends of the ring like Double J, Jeff Jarrett, Mick Foley, Kamala, and Dan the Beast Severin. Current superstars like Sheamus, Xavier Woods, and Kofi Kingston have been part of the discussion too. Again, it's my one two three cents the podcast, a wrestling fan's perspective. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast, uh, part of uh, Corn Nation and the Jittery Monkey uh, family of podcasts. Jitterymonkey.com, CornNation.com, of course, is Nebraska Cornhusker uh, SB Nation site. And uh, we just got done talking uh, with Coog Center, uh, Washington State uh, SB Nation. Now we're going to get back home a little closer to home anyway, uh, back to the Big Ten. And uh, over at HammerAndRails.com, and uh, talking with Travis Miller, that is the uh, home of Purdue Athletics on SB Nation. And Travis, uh, welcome to the Five Heart Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So obviously, uh, there's a big matchup in West Lafayette uh, this weekend, and uh, I'm not going to say. Well, let, let's put it this way: let, the easiest way I think to to jump into this conversation is both teams, Nebraska and Purdue, are three and four. Uh, the difference being that Nebraska is second in the Big Ten West, while Purdue is fourth uh, in the Big Ten West. 
what what's going on because they're it, it seems like you know they I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just the fact that we have a win against Illinois and Rutgers and you guys just came off of a, a crushing loss, a, a two-point loss uh, to Rutgers, which nobody should lose to Rutgers. What what happened? Uh, basically, we couldn't finish drives. Uh, we ended up with 475 yards of total offense, <laughs> but we couldn't put the ball in the end zone. We had one touchdown, and it was – with 15 seconds left to go in the game, and since we'd only managed two field goals, we basically had to go for two, no no chance at that, or no choice but to go for two, and we weren't able to convert. Made the wrong read on the throw and try, had to throw into a crowd of people and didn't come down with it. But uh, Purdue overall just had a really difficult time finishing drives, and I do have to give some credit to Rutgers here. They had two plays exactly on the day, and that was it. <laughs> the second the second play from scrimmage was a 72-yard touchdown run by Gus Edwards, and then early in the second half, they completed a wheel route touchdown pass to a running back, and that's all they needed. <laughs> Other than that, Purdue completely shut down their offense. They actually had more total yards on their two scoring plays than they did on every other play that they ran combined on the day. So just a very frustrating day for Purdue. And, uh, you know, you look at Gus Edwards. He had the 74-yard touchdown run, and he had 13 carries for 20 yards the rest of the game. (laughs) So, I mean, he broke one play, and then – Purdue just I think we had uh, I think we had two turnovers on downs we had two interceptions and Rutgers just kept punting us and pinning us deep and we would get 40 50 60 yards down the field and then couldn't score so uh, I think there were a couple big plays where we made some wrong choices too we had a uh, near midfield in the first half we had a third and two and ran consecutive quarterback sneaks that didn't work and then in the fourth quarter, with about 10 minutes to go, we had a chance to kick a field goal down down eight, and we chose to go for it and failed to convert. And then we had a bunch of dropped passes, too. I mean, just we – it was an epidemic of dropped passes to the point where it felt like every dropped pass meant the next one was going to get dropped because we were thinking about not dropping it. So – it was, it was just a frustrating game. Uh, I actually drove out there from Indianapolis because I'd never been to Rutgers before and wanted to take in a game there. And, you know, it just you, – you felt like the Purdue should have beaten them by two or three touchdowns with the yards that they were rolling up. And the defense was giving them every opportunity. We, we forced nine three and outs. And you, you look at the box score and you're like, how in the hell did you lose this game? And it's basically because Purdue could not finish drives. One of those situations, and sounds like uh, something that Nebraska has has suffered from, you know, this year and, and in recent years, couldn't get out of your own way. It seems uh, towards the end, as far as closing, um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, your your new head coach Jeff Brom. Uh, he's he's done some good things. You you look at uh, what Rutgers has, or not Rutgers, what what uh, Purdue has has uh, endured so far this season. Again, three and four. But you came in, and uh, I think you opened up some eyes that first game against Louisville, losing by a touchdown. But you know that's the the 
most recent Heisman winner, uh, you know, in Louisville was highly touted. Uh, You go on the road in week three at Missouri, and I know that it's Missouri, and I can say that because I'm in Illinois, um, and they used to be, you know, in the Big 12 with us, but you you beat the hell out of them at home. Um, Had a loss to Michigan to open up the Big 10, but, uh, you know, then you beat Minnesota at home. And you lose by eight to Wisconsin. Nebraska is at a point where we would love to lose by eight to Wisconsin. Uh, so there have been some good things in Brom's first year. Oh, definitely. And that's kind of what has me strangely hopeful um, as opposed to despairing before Rut- for after losing to Rutgers. You know, if you'd told me before the season Purdue was going to lose to Rutgers, I'd have been like, well, we have absolutely no chance of making a bowl because, you know, that was one of the wins where if everything went perfect to get to six and six after what we've gone through the last four seasons, you would just expect one of those wins were going to come against Rutgers uh, just because of their reputation. And I, and I'm not here to just rip on Rutgers because I, oh. I got to give them credit. I mean, they no, made plays please. when they needed to their, their defense is greatly improved from last year. I mean, yeah, it's not a fantastic defense. They're not the 85 bears by any stretch of the imagination, but you're looking at a defense much like our own. That was both of them were just so horrible last year for much of the season that any improvement looks fantastic. Um, but yeah, you mentioned, uh, Louisville, that one kind of opened some eyes by hanging with them. And now Louisville doesn't look as great as people thought, but you know, Purdue was still able to be there and had a fourth quarter lead on them. Uh, you know, beating Ohio, Ohio actually looks like a really good Mac team right now. I think they're something like five and two. Um, they beat the crap out of Kansas, which, you know, okay. They beat the crap out of Kansas, but for a MAC team beating a Power Five conference team like that, that's that's a good win for them. Uh, Missouri certainly looked like they were going to be better before the season, and I know Purdue surprised a bunch of people when they went there. Not just that they won, but that they won so convincingly. And you know, we had a lead on Michigan late in the third quarter before uh, they made one play. There was one specific play that was the, really the difference. Purdue was leading 10-7, and they had a third and long. It looked like we were going to sack uh, Don O'Corn, and he manages to duck under the sack at the last second and then complete a 30-yard pass over the middle. That ended up just kind of breaking things where they would score touchdowns under their next three drives, and we went, I think, three and out, and their defense just was dominant, and they finally wore us down, really. Uh, and then you look at Wisconsin, you know, Purdue didn't play particularly well. I mean, you could say that they even left opportunities on the field because we managed three field goals, but we had a blocked punt where the guy is returning the punt for a sure touchdown, has a phalanx of blockers behind him to fend everybody off, pulls his hamstring at the 15-yard line and falls oh, down. And, and on that drive, we ended up getting sacked and then missed the field goal, so we got nothing out of that. And then late in the game, we're on the eight-yard line, throw an interception when we're down eight. So, you know, Purdue's had a lot of moments where they've kind of shot themselves in the foot, and the Rutgers game was the culmination of that. And I think it's safe to say that that was probably Purdue's worst game of the season, honestly, was at Rutgers. And it ended up being a loss and biting us in the rear end at the worst time because we couldn't finish drives. And now our offense is in a bit of a funk because they're getting yards, they're moving the football, but they've gotten one touchdown in the last eight quarters of play. And 
we really only have five touchdowns in Big Ten play period now. So that's six, five touchdowns over 16 quarters. And, yeah, part of that's we played Wisconsin and uh, Michigan. But, you know, at some point we're going to have to break through this and finish drives, um, even with the limited personnel we have, because a lot of it is being blamed on the fact that we've had some horrid recruiting classes under Daryl Hazel. And uh, now, you know, Brahm is getting it done with some recruiting classes that have consistently ranked at the bottom of the Big Ten for four, five, six years in a row. A couple of uh, things that, that as you were talking there, I definitely wanted to touch on. As you mentioned, uh, you know, the nice win at home over Ohio, and you mentioned that Ohio, you know, with with uh, being a, a game or two maybe away from being bowl eligible with the, the win over Kansas. And but I, I do have to point out, and I think Nebraska fans will uh, agree or, or always want to point out Frank Solich has been beating Kansas since like 1959 so yeah you know so that's that um and then question regarding that Wisconsin game a couple weeks back how many yards did Jonathan Taylor run for you know against Purdue because uh I think he oh yep he just ran for another 10 yards against Nebraska just now uh Mm -hmm. there's something about Wisconsin's schemes that it doesn't matter if it's Jonathan Taylor Melvin Gordon Monty Ball whomever they are you know they look at nebraska on the schedule and they highlight it and they say i'm gonna have a career game against these guys and it always happens and the the sad thing is taylor's a freshman so we got to deal with it for two or three more years yeah he he had 249 against you guys and 219 against us well that doesn't make Uh, me feel any better yeah, he, he only got to the end zone once against us, but it was like the first play of the game where he had a 67-yard touchdown run. But other than that, like you said, he was ripping them off left and right. And uh, I, I felt like for a while there, his, our strategy was to wait until he got tired, and that was going to be the best way to stop him. And, and our strategy well, didn't work because he just waited until we were tired. Uh, so, um, but but you mentioned recruiting, and that's something that we used to talk quite about, uh, quite a bit about here on on the Five Heart Podcast uh, uh, when when Brian was with us. Um, but what what would you say is, is Purdue's like? Where do they go for talent? Ohio is is right there. Michigan. I mean, where where are they looking? And I'm not I'm not looking for you know like hints. Like you you tell me where, and then we're gonna you know I don't know anybody in the athletic department, so <laughs> your secret's safe with me. But where where do they go looking for talent? Really all over. Um, I know one of Danny Hope's uh, strategies was he would go down to Florida and uh, harvest those connections to try and get the guys left over from the big three of Miami, Florida, Florida State down there, and he had some success getting some decent guys out of there and we're, we're still doing that. We still have some strong connections down there. Um, but really we look all over this year, Brom kind of, you know, he's slapped together a roster and is being competitive with, I think we have six graduate transfers that had some time left over and they were able to come over. We got a guy starting on our offensive line from, Northern Illinois, that's a graduate transfer, and another one that was a grad transfer from Rhode Island. And our starting quarterback was uh, at cornerback, uh, was, at, uh, was at Wake Forest last year. We got a graduate transfer receiver from Notre Dame. <laughs> and so we're trying to piece together what we can. Our leading tackler, before he got hurt, was, uh, was with Brom at Western Kentucky. And then he went and got some JUCO guys out there and just – anything to get an influx of talent really and that's 
that's one of the things also that Hazel was just horrible about. He was a terrible recruiter. He basically alienated any of the top schools in the Indianapolis area, which is not a huge hotbed of football talent, but it's still the biggest city in the state. And if you're going to get some in-state kids, that's most likely where they're going to come from. And he barely bothered to do that. Uh, The story that I like to tell of how bad Hazel, how bad of a recruiter he was is before his final season, he needed a, uh, he needed an offensive tackle. He needed a left tackle in the worst way. It was non-negotiable. And across town, we at Lafayette Central Catholic High School, one of the best small school programs in the state of Indiana, there was a four-star left tackle. And Hazel didn't even bother to offer him a scholarship. That guy, Coy Cronk, was a freshman All-American last year at Indiana. And from what I've heard and rumor from rumors and everything, he would have committed to Purdue had Hazel offered. Instead, in a pinch, he offered a junior college guy that was basically as effective as placing a turnstile at left tackle and couldn't even start last year before leaving the program. So, you know, it's it's frustrating in that regard, and Brahm is doing the best that he can. He's really hitting his hometown of Louisville pretty hard to get some kids out of there. He's rebuilding some of the connections here in state, and then he's, he's willing to uh, open his eyes and get players from wherever he can because – he knows that we're going up against Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame. Anybody can come in here and get the top players in state. And uh, you just got to make do with what you have. And so far, it's paid off. He's actually recruit, improved recruiting, but part of that's just because he's merely trying to recruit. One of the knocks against uh, our former head coach, Bo Pelini, uh, was his recruiting. Um, and he didn't really – try because and I don't know I think this made you know national press or at least in in some paraphrasing uh matter because you know you can't it, it's hard to coach Lincoln up and, and to uh, you know get kids to come to Lincoln um Mike Riley's done a pretty good job recruiting I, I don't think you know obviously you're not going to knock it out of the park every time but you know he was able to get a flip from Ohio State uh, who's starting now as a freshman uh Tyjon Lindsay and he's not afraid to go after big guys, you know, big name, five star kids. Um, and he's not afraid of the recruiting challenge uh, that you know Lincoln off has against it because it is, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere, so to speak. It's you know far from both coasts, and and uh, you know it's it's a flight in. It's not you know a drive up you know from Kansas City and you know things like that. So it's it, I see some some. Uh, parallels there between both, you know, Nebraska's and Purdue's former coaches and their recruiting philosophies. Maybe, you know, don't bother going after the big fish because, you know, why would they come here anyway? So let's settle with what we can get. Yeah, and we, Brom actually just got his first big fish last weekend. Um, he got a 2019 kid, which is rare for us to get anybody more than a year in advance, but he got a 2019 kid from West Lafayette High School, uh, just you know, three miles from Ross Stadium, and he's a four-star defensive end by the name of George Karlaftis, who top 100 recruit nationally had a final he had a final three of Purdue, Miami, and Michigan, and then uh, he even had an offer from Alabama and everything else, 
But Brom was able to land him, and one of the things that he said was, you know, I wasn't even thinking about Purdue as an option until Jeff Brom was there. And, you know, yeah, he played up the hometown angle, and that ended up being big for this kid because he wants to stay close to his family and all that. But, you know, it's one of those, it was the first big swing, and yeah, we got to wait 15 months or longer before he can even set foot on campus, but... It was the rare recruiting win, and we're like, my God, we, we get somebody. <laughs> I know uh, uh, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, I believe he's attributed with saying you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. If you don't ever take a chance at some of these kids, you know, then you're never going to have an opportunity to, to close them. You know, as you mentioned, Alabama, you know, offered uh, this uh, young man out of uh, West Lafayette High School, but I think they offer damn near every five-star, four-star because they're Alabama, and they know that – they don't need to sign everybody because they're, they don't rebuild. They just uh, reload type of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, you, I, I like uh, following recruiting from a distance. I'm not, you know, that that close into it. You know, I don't follow it that closely. But, obviously, like, you know, finding out what kids favor Nebraska. Um, you know, we had the opportunity or, or the, uh, uh, I guess, used the opportunity last year uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., who you know talked us up quite a bit and and helped get a few more uh, young men on board, um, and look forward to him coming back uh, hopefully next year and and wearing the scarlet and cream. Uh, but let's talk now about this weekend's game. As we mentioned earlier, uh, Purdue is a favorite at home, uh, and this is not a knock on the Boilermakers, but it, this is a rare occasion uh, between these two teams where where Purdue is favored. Oh, absolutely, and as bad as things have been for us, it's rare for us to be favored at all. I know when we were at Rutgers here, it was the first time in five years we'd been favored in a road game, so naturally we lost it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised that we were favored over Nebraska because I know you guys are struggling, yeah, but there's still that cachet of, well, you're Nebraska. And uh, I know that the only reason we won two years ago is – Poor Riker Fife had just about the <laughs> worst game I've ever seen from a quarterback. And even then, we tried as hard as we could to blow it in the fourth quarter. So, uh, you know, it was a bit of a surprise. Uh, it's a welcome surprise. I can't say that uh, it's an automatic win that we're favored because I don't think we can take anybody for granted, especially, at, again, after losing to Rutgers. You just you can't do that. But, you know, it's nice to see that there's some recognition there and I know Purdue's playing at home they're playing at night there's going to be a a good crowd there's an actual home field atmosphere at Purdue for the first time in almost a decade I mean we sold out the Michigan game that was our first sellout I think since 2009 or 2008 even so uh, it's just nice to see that there's some excitement there and there's still the possibility of a bowl game if we can win our three home games against that we have left against Nebraska, Illinois, and Indiana, and that would be that would be, you know, a tremendous success success in year one after we've won nine games period in the last four seasons before this. As you mentioned, uh, you know, Nebraska. And I, I'm going to shine the spotlight on on Lincoln just a little bit and get your take. And I, I want you to be blunt and honest and and. Don't try to be diplomatic uh, because if nothing else, hey, this will get some comments and, and some hate tweets, and, and that's kind of what I'm going for. <laughs> Would you say, because you said, you know, there's still that cachet of, of Nebraska being Nebraska, but 
20 years since the last national championship. Uh, 16 years, you know, it was 2001 when we last won a conference title. Is the From the outside looking in, is the bloom off the rose? Well, honestly, I got to respect Nebraska, period, because, you know, at least you have national championships to talk about. <laughs> I am not in any position, uh, you know, if you're going to talk basketball even, you know, we have the, the uh, history of just falling apart in March. But when it's football, it's like, okay, uh, you know, I'm not in any stretch of the imagination thinking we're superior to any program, especially in the last four or five years. But at least you guys, you know, you've had some recent success. I know you guys were a top 10 team for part of last season. And whether that was through, you know, actual accomplishment or through smoke and mirrors by beating up on a bunch of lesser opponents, you know, you're still ranked in the top 10. And we haven't been able to say that for 10 years for us. But, uh, you know, I know that it's been a long time since you guys have been, uh, you know, the rolling juggernaut of Nebraska. Um my wife just left the room and said that's because we broke them. Uh, I got to apologize here. She's a Miami Hurricane alum. Oh. So, uh, so yeah, and she knew that whole team because uh, she was a student then at the time. So sorry about that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you're still looking at in the last, what, 15, 16 years, you were at least playing for a national title. So, you know, I don't know how much that relates to current players. Maybe not very much, since these kids weren't even born yet when sure. uh, you played for that national title. And you know, throw some dirt on my grave with that statement. But uh, you know, it's it's still something that you guys can sell, and you know, it, it's really balancing a fine line there between yes, we're still legitimate, and no, we we have to admit that we've taken a step back and we're not one of those elite programs anymore. And how, how do you balance that fine line? And if you do figure it out, please tell my basketball friends down in Bloomington <laughs> who've been waiting even longer for, uh, you know, that national relevance. Sure. Uh, as we look at the game, what, who are some, you know, people, some of the players, uh, what are some of the names that, that, uh, you know, if, if maybe Nebraska fans haven't heard of them yet, uh, will will probably know their names uh, by the end of the game, by the end of 60 minutes? Um, well, we're not even sure who's going to be starting at quarterback for this one because Elijah Sindelar and David Blau have been going back and forth all season, and neither one has really seized the reins, if you will. Uh, Blau has had the higher completion percentage. He's thrown for more touchdowns, thrown fewer interceptions. But... Uh, uh, I would say that I would say that uh, Coach Brom tends to favor Sindelar just a little bit. He's been given more of an opportunity. He's started more of the games, even though both have played in each game. To me, Blau has looked better, at least in the game situation, and he's the one that led the potential tying drive against Rutgers last week. Uh, got us down, got us in the end zone, and he's also the one that, as a redshirt freshman two years ago, had. A uh, pretty good game against Nebraska. Threw for four touchdowns, no interceptions, and even had like a 50-yard touchdown run to start things off. So would love to see him get the start. He has not started a game since I believe uh, the Michigan game. But he's had some really good moments this year. He was lights out against Ohio and Missouri. Um, and then really we've kind of gotten a running back by committee thing. 
that was very successful at Rutgers, DJ Knox, Markel Jones, and Richie Worship, they were uh, doing really well at running the football last week. Knox finished with 84 yards, Jones with 68, Worship with 51 on just five carries, and uh, we ended up running for 279 yards, and I, I honestly think we didn't run the ball enough because there were some spots where we were dropping passes but the running game was working and you're just like why are you still throwing the ball when the ground game is working we had 41 carries for 279 yards and we threw the ball 44 times still so it, it's like uh make an effort to run the ball a little bit more guys that's the strength especially when our receivers were have been kind of questionable all season uh, on the defensive side of the ball um Jawan Bentley has been an excellent middle linebacker all season. He's playing at a pretty high level. Hopefully we'll get some uh, all-conference recognition, be it second team or third team. And he's the one that made the play that sealed the Minnesota game, had a 72-yard pick six with 10 seconds left that uh, blasted that game open and uh, finished him off. So would love to see him continue to have a great senior year. Marcus Bailey on the outside has had a good season. And uh, it would be nice if we could also get more of a pass rush because we do not have a strong defensive line in terms of a pass rush. They do a pretty good job against the run, but I think we have only seven sacks in seven games. So uh, that that kind of concerns me that Tanner Lee is going to have all day to throw against us. Well, uh, I, I, Tanner Lee is, has been an enigma uh, for us, but he is improving. Um, and if you make him run out of the pocket he will do it for about five six yards it will look horrible but <laughs> if it's third and four and he has to run it's a good chance he's going to pick up that first down just warning you in advance uh travis miller of hammerandrails.com uh, the purdue boilermakers sb nation site i want to thank you for joining me on the five heart podcast uh, thank you for your time if you had to put uh, you know any, any homerism aside and and predict a winner uh, on Saturday, uh, who you got? I'm honestly, I'm strangely confident, and I was even strangely confident Saturday after we lost to Rutgers, and it's the, uh, I think the loss to Rutgers might have been a wake-up call that they needed because they've had a lot of smoke blown up them and how great they've improved and everything else. And uh, it sounds like instead of being distraught and feeling sorry about themselves, it sounds like they're kind of pissed off right now. And uh, I think that's a good thing. And I know Nebraska has struggled this year. And looking at the defensive numbers, I see that your defense is actually rating worse than Rutgers right now, which kind of surprised me. So uh, it would be very nice to uh, take care of business at home. And I think I think we can do that. But I was confident we were going to roll over Rutgers. So don't put any confidence <laughs> behind my pick there. We, what we should have are two pissed off teams. Uh, after Purdue lost uh, a close one at Rutgers and Nebraska getting a uh, run out of their own stadium two weeks in a row and now coming off the bye week. So I imagine both teams should be playing with, uh, uh, I call it fire. My, my podcasting buddy, Haas Reuter, calls it sauce, uh, You know, playing with some juice, uh, as he likes to put it. Um, but I, I call it playing with fire. We'll find out. We're going to let the, the chips fall where they may after kickoff. Travis Miller, once again, thank you for joining me on the Five Heart Podcast. And uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good as far as sportsmanship goes. I wish you uh, luck on Saturday and certainly luck uh, throughout the rest of the season as well. 
thank you very much. And I uh, just wanted to give you and your readers uh, my condolences on behalf of us for losing Brian Tell. I never got a chance to meet him. But it uh, sounds like he was a really great guy for you guys. And I know you guys were all pretty upset uh, with his untimely passing. And uh, just been uh, praying for his family and his best wishes for him and his family and as well as you guys there at your site. Well, we we certainly appreciate that. And I know uh, uh, everyone will be hearing this. And uh, uh, just like I did, you know, just now, you know, it's allergy season or somebody's chopping onions or something around here. But, uh, yeah, we certainly appreciate uh, the, the the condolences and, and the, the sentiments there, Travis. And, uh, uh, man, that, that that's going to make it even more awkward when I hope that we kick your ass on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> so Travis Miller, hammerandrails.com, the Purdue SB Nation site. Make sure that you head on over there and uh, get caught up on everything that they have going on as far as game week goes. Hammer and Rails uh, on Twitter as well, Travis? Yes, that's fine. All right, and uh, we'll be back uh, with Haas Reuter. We'll finish up this week's uh, episode right after this on the Five Heart Podcast. Hi, this is Greg Mahochko, the host of Nerds United on the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. And over the years that I've been running the Nerds United show, I've been fortunate enough to speak with many of my talented friends, both artists and writers, creators of comic books. But I've also spoken with some more recognizable names in comics and entertainment. Legendary artist Greg Land. Hey, we Greg's got to stick together. Writer Colin Bunn, rock and roll Hall of Famer, and comic book creator DMC Daryl McDaniels. The Flash of yesteryear and in more recent memory, Flash's dad, John Wesley Shipp, and a lot more. And I encourage you to subscribe to the Nerds United podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, or you can check it out anytime you want on JitteryMonkey.com. And as founder of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network, I really do appreciate your support. When you share a podcast, you help get our little corner of the podcasting world out to even more people. So anytime you do that, you really don't know how much we appreciate it. So share away. Welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast. Uh, Greg Mahochko here and joined uh, to finish things off this week by Haas Reuter. Of course, man from coordination.com. He needs no introduction. Haas, uh, we had the bye week. Uh, it is in the past. Uh, contrary to some reports, Nebraska still undefeated against the bye. What are your thoughts from this past weekend? Um, watched a lot of college football, which was kind of cathartic to watch other teams, you know, get their hearts broken and lose, you know, in undesirable fashion. But uh, it, was, it was actually kind of nice. Uh, I think that's the first time I've ever said that about a bye week. What... Uh what games in particular were you watching? Um, I know there were a couple of big matchups, one with Big Ten implications on Saturday night, of course, at Michigan at Penn State. Also Saturday night there was uh, uh, Notre Dame hosting USC. Home teams won both of those, but what other games were you watching or were you just kind of uh, channel surfing and, and catching it here and there? Or did you, did you sit down with any intent to watch full games? Uh, it started out on Saturday, you know, after after we talked on Friday night for last week's podcast, I finished off the Coors, all the Coors Banquet that I had. Mm-hmm. So I woke up nursing a pretty good hangover, but I uh, ended up watching Oklahoma State, Texas, which I was told there would be many points in that one, and it ended up being many punts instead. <laughs> and uh, so that one wasn't exactly entertaining. Um what was, I, what was I watching yet? K-State-Oklahoma was a great game. 
And then, uh, of course, I settled in to watch TCU-Kansas, even though that wasn't exactly the uh, attractive matchup of the evening. You were watching that, though, as, as I was catching your comments here and there in uh, the famed Coronation Slack chat room. You were watching that one with more than just casual uh, observation. You were you were going in and looking at the future, the potential, and, and again, so much is... is in the era, we're just a week removed from Nebraska. You know, almost two weeks now, I guess. But uh, you know, we just announced within the last two weeks uh, a new athletic director who said he's not making any midseason changes. Uh, but you were taking the stance in that TCU Kansas game of, you know, what if? So tell me a little bit about what you took away from that. Well, the thing that always I've always been a big Gary Patterson fan. Um, going back to when he was at TCU in 09 when they played Boise in the Fiesta Bowl and then uh, when they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl the next year. And I've always just liked the way his teams, you know, he coaches his teams, the way his teams play. And uh, as they've gotten into the Big 12 and when they went to the Air Raid starting in 2014, I've always enjoyed how he pairs that high-octane Air Raid offense with a mobile quarterback and some option football concept with that defense, that four two five defense of his. And so, I mean, Gary Patterson's always been the pie in the sky coaching hire in my book that Nebraska could make and, uh, paying a little attention to what he's doing, you know, is of course, by saying this for the firing of my right. And and we uh, were at this point, but, um, Go ahead. I was going to say, and, and we've been continually entrenched, uh, if you will, uh, in you know Mike Riley, more time for Mike Riley. Um, as we heard, uh, if you go back and listen to you know the first bit of, of this episode, uh, when I talked with KookCenter.com, of course, uh, Washington State's uh, SB Nation site. I talked with Jeff Nusser and and, and got a little bit more four one one on Bill Moose, uh, Nebraska's new athletic director, who likes to spend money and likes to make a splash uh, in the hiring. But at the same time, as you heard Jeff say, he's only ever hired one football coach, who just happened to be Mike Leach at uh, uh, Washington State a few years ago. When you go back and, and you listen to that part of, of you know that interview that that portion of this week's program, what was your takeaway? Because I certainly got got the uh, I don't know sentiment that while you know he had done some good things you know bringing in Mike Leach and and uh, you know all the all the stuff that he did to uh, the football field there in Pullman, Washington, that there were also some hiccups some some less desirable traits perhaps against uh, Bill Moose he focuses much of his attention on football, maybe a little bit to men's basketball and, and a, a hair to uh, baseball. But that, that was about it. What, what did you take away when you listened to, to that conversation? Well, what I kind of took away the comments about Moose devoting most of his attention to football as pretty typical of a football of a self-admitted football guy like Bill Moose as an athletic director football pays the bills in college sports and you know especially at Nebraska 
And so it makes sense that most of his attentions die, you know, just focused on that. And honestly, I think because of how much the Nebraska football program is the cultural identity of not only the university, but of the state of Nebraska, and when people travel out of state, you know, if they're anything like me, they put on the full regalia, you know, and strut around, you know, <laughs> pridefully. Uh, I did that in a Columbia, Missouri gas station a couple of years ago, got a lot of looks. But, um, you know, it didn't shock me. I don't find that to be any reason for concern because from the standpoint of our current predicament in Nebraska football going back, you know, since 2001, uh, if he fixes Nebraska football, basketball, baseball, come what may, I mean, people be, you know, upset if Tim Miles continues to, you know, the run of sub-mediocrity in Nebraska basketball. But people will be happy that football is fixed. I believe uh, the phrase that I used in talking with Jeff was, as goes Nebraska football, so goes the state of Nebraska, give or take. I mean, that's, yeah. but that, that is, I mean, it, it, it is the identity. And I was, as he was saying that, you know, I, I can understand, obviously we know women's volleyball is self-sufficient, self-sustaining. Uh, women's basketball is very much a question mark because Coach Mitchell is in her, you know, going to be starting her second year here uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and that was another Sean Eichhorst hire. Uh, but if Nebraska football is winning, it seems like there's, I don't know, less pressure on the other programs. You know, if if the state is, by golly, we're so happy we're in a uh, New Year's Day bowl game, uh, or, you know, we're con- contending for conference championships or we're winning a conference championship or, you know, in the future, you know, a couple of years down the road, uh, we are in the playoffs, in, in the college football playoffs. There, It seems like there's less attention given to something like men's basketball and therefore less pressure on men's basketball. Is that? I mean, that that's how I perceive things. What's your take? Oh, I'm I'm in the exact same boat as you are. I mean, ever since I've gotten into, you know, Husker football back when I was a kid and subsequently just Husker athletics in general, I mean, football, you know, we lose in football, it ruins my Saturday, Sunday, well into the week, you know, sure. still kind of ruminating on it. You know, and like Nebraska basketball, I've always been a Husker basketball fan first and foremost in addition to having a soft spot for Creighton basketball. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those two play. Hold on, hold on. Time out. I'm stopping you there because you have said, we could probably go back on this show, on the record, you're a self-proclaimed Jasker. I am. I watch Creighton basketball. I root for Creighton basketball when it comes. But when it comes down to that matchup that first week of December, I root for Nebraska basketball. My allegiance lies more so with Nebraska basketball. Because because next I was gonna say we need to get you fo- you know take your focus away from Creighton basketball and put it on like UNO hockey or something else to distract you anything you know to keep you from throwing any support to that team up there. Um, okay, no, so so that's perfect. This this is this is a revelation to me, Haas, because I I was under the I was operating under the assumption that you were in Nebraska football, Creighton basketball. And the words Nebraska and basketball never entered into your 
in, in, in enter into your brain. So uh, this is fantastic news. I don't have to kick you off the show this winter. Yeah, I mean, like when Nebraska <laughs> and Creighton both made the NCAA tournament in 2014. I mean, when we ended up losing to Baylor in that opening round, I was so pissed off. I didn't even care about the Creighton game after Creighton games afterwards. You know, their game against Lafayette or their subsequent game against Baylor. I, you know. Nebraska basketball is where my heart lies. I like to foment people with the uh, talk of being a Jasker just because I have a inner troll that resides within, you know, my personality that likes to get reactions out of people. So, so you like I, to I, uh, you like to get people all riled up. Is that is that a safe assumption there? You like to get them all riled up, Mike Riley. Oh up? yeah, you know. It, that's a safe assumption, especially, you know, it goes along with, you know, that trolling goes along with how much I like to troll uh, Run the Ball Guy the past few years in my articles, tweets, you know, and references on this podcast and the Big Red Cobcast. Uh, speaking of uh, our friends at the Big Red Cobcast, uh, uh, have you been doing your, your lifting? What, what what are you deadlifting these days? I know that that's a well, big topic I've, of conversation. I've been with in the gym for a couple of weeks because I've had to circle up the wagons on the old homework. But uh, last time, don't deadlift. I should, but I don't. Um, so Ryan, you know, Tweedy probably has got me beat on that. But we'll see if he can, you know, top my uh, bench press and squats. We we definitely know for sure that he can't uh, win a foot race against the Canale brothers. I don't know which one, but we'll just we'll just blanket statement and, and call it good. But. There's a good chance I can't either. Uh, so anyway, back to business here. Um, so overall, even after hearing the statements from Jeff Nusser, still coming into the uh, athletic director hire with a very positive mind frame. I am. I, you know, I think it's vital to have, especially at a football school, a football guy as an athletic director and uh, someone who, you know, like Moose, who's, you know, he was at Montana in the 90s when they, you know, they won the championship in 95 under Don Reed, the father of Bruce Reed, who was on Riley's staff. And then, uh, you know, he was at Oregon when they really built into being that Nike machine. And then he got Washington State off the ground. And while Nebraska is not in the drag quite as much as Washington State was or Oregon previous to the Phil Knight infusion of money, um, you know, it's there are a lot of tenants of this program that are, you know, necessitate kind of a rebuild and, you know, a laser focus on fixing the, the football program. You know, no more half measures. Go out there and, you know, hire a big name coach. Similar, I, I know Leach was available due to, you know, other circumstances, but similar to what Washington State did with hiring Leach, you know, uh, and, coupling with Leach's comments about how he's a great AD, he's honest, you know. That's what a lot of coaches look for and, you know, a boss who they're going to be working for and answering to. And I think that bodes really well for us and pairing that with our resources and our tradition, you know, of excellence. It hasn't been very excellent, you know, in 16 years, but I digress. And I think it's just kind of a I don't know. It's just an interesting dichotomy in uh, trying to rebuild this program. As we move on to talk about the game this weekend, uh, and we were able to, or I was able to spend some time with Travis Miller, who also uh, check out coronation.com because you can also get some of his uh, 
you know game week answers in written form uh, in the in the Q and A that we sent over to Hammer and Rails and uh, Travis sent it back. Um, but you know with the and I believe when when I spoke with him, uh, you know the line was a little bit more in Purdue's favor. I think it, it was at the time six and a half, uh, or maybe it opened at six and a half and is down to five and a half points. Purdue is the favorite at home, and I know that you know home field advantage you know accounts for about three points. Should Nebraska be worried heading to West Lafayette? Or I may, think so. May, maybe not Nebraska. I'm, I'm sure that the coaches are are getting getting the players prepared. Maybe that you know then they have to have the mindset that you know they're going to uh, not have a repeat of what happened two years ago. But but should Nebraska fans, I guess, be worried? Yeah, you know, not on the basis of talent. You know, the one on one athletic matchups, more on the basis of scheme. You know, X's and O's. You know, they're not gonna do anything to replace talent but if Diaco were to stay you know let's say just in the base 4-3 against that style of attack that Purdue runs I'm hesitant to call it an error rate it's just a really unconventional passing game though um our outside linebackers are gonna probably you know we're probably gonna be screened to death by bubble screens and now screens and hitches and slants you know and we'll probably try to get over the top on us which, you know, if they have a burner, which they don't have D'Angelo Yancey anymore, he's in the NFL now, you know, that would be more problematic. But um, I guess, I, you know, coupling with where we're at kind of mentally as a program, as, or as a fan base, not as a program, from the past few weeks and, you know, just all the noise around it and the last, you know, last time we went to Purdue in 2015, I think there's some cause for concern. Travis brought up a good point, um, which I, I piggybacked on. He said, you know, there's a high prob- high probability that Purdue team is going to be pissed off after that two-point loss to Rutgers. And I, I came back and said, Nebraska should be pissed off for the way that they played at home, getting run out of their own stadium two weeks in a row, and then you got to sit and wait another week. What is – where do you think – and, again, this is all – you know, outside perception, folks, as, as you're listening. But where do you think the team's mentality or, or frame of mind is, and do you think that aligns with where it should be? Do you think that they looked at this and it's like, well, we're three and four, and we've got some games we can win, but there are also games we could lose, and we've got to go to Penn State. This doesn't, despite you know our conversation last week and, and Mike Riley's. You know, sideline demeanor, hands in the pocket, things like that. You're still playing football at Nebraska, and I don't think there's ever any time to throw in the towel, any reason to throw in the towel. Maximum effort, I like to say. Um, do you think that this team's going to give forth or you know give that to the game, or if if they get down by you know seven, ten points at Purdue, do you think that they're going to hang their heads and? Say, well, this is what we are. We're losing to Purdue. Well, I think they, you know, judging from what the players said all week in post-practice press conferences, um, they sounded like they're enthusiastic and ready to go. And I hope we see that on Saturday. You see a team that comes out, you know, enthusiastic, pissed off, you know, after the, you know, Wisconsin-Ohio State games. And I 
you know, I want to see that. They've said the right things. I don't want to see any dissonance, though, between what they're saying and how they actually play. You only get 48 in a four year career, you only get 48 games guaranteed. There's no excuse not to be strapped up and ready to go for every single one of them. You made, going back to X's and O's, you, you made a, an interesting point in the uh, Slack chat room Thursday night talking about Diaco and the defense and if not breaking out of that base 3-4 that, that you mentioned just a few moments ago that, uh, you know, if things don't go Nebraska's way, that, you know, Diaco metaphorically uh, could be signing Mike Riley's pink slip at the, I mean, is is a loss at Purdue the nail in the coffin? Even though Bill Moose has said I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, dismissing anyone midseason. Yeah, I I don't think a loss to Purdue. I I still don't think we'll see any midseason dismissal. Sure, but I think it's the nail in the coffin. The optics of you know losing to Purdue after you know already losing to northern illinois and i'm not even going to get into oregon wisconsin ohio state right uh, because you know as bad as it sounds those programs you know they're what we consider to be our peer programs i guess that's not that doesn't sound bad to say at all um you lose to them you know it's okay you gotta lose not okay it's like okay you know you lost you know you just hope it was in a manner that's not embarrassing that it was a well fought you know well played game yeah but the optics of losing to purdue for the second time in three years and in this particular season where it's very palpable that there's you know a coaching or staff coaching for their careers here it just does not not bode well i still say that there you know there are five games left uh i still say that seven and five is within reach. Um, I'm I'm obviously hoping, you know, just like every week, hoping for a big red win, um, and, and looking forward to uh, watching the game. I might get. I'm, I'm going to say this now. Say it to you, Hoss. I'm going to say it to all, everybody listening. There's a chance I might not be able to start the game on time. If that happens, I don't want anybody texting, tweeting. Facebook messaging, Instagramming, Snapchatting me, Slack chatting me. I'm going dark. Uh, I like to start my games fresh without any knowledge of of any of the madness that has ensued. Uh, so if I if it gets to be six o'clock and I'm not near a TV, the phone is going off. Bar none until the game's over or I'm caught up with the live feed. That that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have it I'm not gonna have it ruined again, man. No, I'm, I'm, we'll be okay. Well, you won't have to worry about getting a Slack chat from me or anything like that. I usually go radio silent during the games, you know. No Twitter, no uh, no Slack. Uh, texts I don't really respond to from people during the game, you know, who are wanting to, you know, ask, you know, what I thought of something sure. or you know, make a comment. So I'll do my – you, you got to promise for me that I'll, you know, respect <laughs> going dark. I uh, I don't know how John does it because he's in the Slack chat room. He's tweeting. He's uh, usually running the game thread on coronation.com. At some point, you've got so many things going on, you're not watching the game. And there have been times in the past where I'm, you know, responding to something on Twitter uh, that's game-related, and I look up and I miss the play, and I've got to hit that little 
back circle that goes back 15 seconds and rewatch the play. But uh, yeah, I don't like doing that. I, I want to watch it. I want to watch it all as it happens. Uh, so, uh, do you have any predictions for the game this week in West Lafayette? You know, I think the offense is going to come ready to play. I really do. Um, o line, as we stated, you know, many times the past few weeks, the O line and Tanner Lee—they've been improving each game. And uh, I think I don't think we'll have any offensive problems, which you know, one side you know, not have to have too much concern with. That's you know, but the defense. Um, I'm just going to be curious to see how Diaco opts to defend Purdue. And I was saying in Slack room tonight to Keith, I mean, Brom, Jeff Brom's going to have a good game plan against us. You could bet the farm on that. I was really, you know, kind of in awe of Purdue last year hiring him, you know, from Western Kentucky because, of, you know, I've always admired the way his team's played. So it's just going to come down to, you know, really, you know, how – I don't want to do anything to discredit, to discredit Purdue because they're very improved this year. But a lot of it's just going to come down to what we do and how we do it, you know. We are going to find out uh, at kickoff on Saturday night, Nebraska at Purdue. Uh, before we get out of here, want to uh, – don't usually do this, but at the same time, you don't usually see uh, – you know this in the news as often but want to wish uh, trey bryant nebraska running back uh, a speedy recovery um a little pun there because you know he's a running back and he's fast uh but uh, he had knee surgery i guess it was wednesday of this week hoss that sound about right tuesday or wednesday yeah and, i think it was yesterday wednesday and uh obviously he's not played i don't think he's played since what northern illinois or before northern illinois might have been the end of Oregon. Uh, or yeah, I think third quarter against Oregon, maybe early fourth quarter. Uh, has had a a, a a bit of a lingering, uh, I don't want to call it chronic, but uh, a lingering knee issue. Uh, so and he's a St. Louis kid. So wish him uh, a speedy recovery and and hope to see him back uh, with the football in his hands. Uh, you know, as soon as possible. As soon as you know he's healed up and and ready to go again. Um, that's about all we've got. For this week, Hoss, uh, you ready to take it home? Oh, we got to do the uh, wrestling WrestleMania oh, three yeah. card, dude. I'm glad that you, I'm glad you remember that because I obviously didn't. Uh, so, Hoss is a big wrestling fan, and I'm a big wrestling fan. And if you're a big wrestling fan, I encourage you to uh, go to uh, JitteryMonkey.com and listen to the My One Two Three Cents uh, podcast. You can find it there. Uh, every monday new episodes every monday and uh, but because we're both fans we wanted to do something a little fun and that was um Haas had said he's like man next week we got to incorporate some 80s wrestling uh, uh references and, and i said all right well let's let's do one better and let's let we're going to pick apart the wrestlemania 3 card and by the way, if you don't like wrestling, I'm sure you've already tuned out. I, I understand that you you've stopped listening. But if you enjoy wrestling or at least, you know, want to see what the hell we're talking about. WrestleMania three was the clash of all clashes. In the main event, you had Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, the biggest and, you know, biggest human being ever in, in sports entertainment and the biggest 
personality, you know, uh, in Hulk Hogan and Andre. Uh, in the undercard, you had phenomenal one. It, it, in a match that has held up and stood the test of time, uh, you had for the Intercontinental title, Randy, ooh, yeah, Macho Man Savage, and uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, Jake the Snake was on the card. I mean, names that even 30 years later people should know. I mean, if you don't know who Jake the Snake Roberts is, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. He wrestled in North Platte many years ago when he was still in bad shape, but he has... Uh, uh, come back in a big way. Hoss, did you ever see on, I believe it was on Netflix, uh, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake? You know, I never got around to watching that. It is... My brother was telling me that it was really good, so I'll have to finally do that. It is It is absolutely worth it. Um, you know, the guy turned his life around. He was you know, messed up and, and uh, you know, on some substances and, and had been, you know, in, on, you know, substance abuse and... Uh, really turned his you know got his stuff straight away so good on him um but let's let's pick apart this a little bit uh if you had to pick two current 2017 big 10 football teams uh in the main event hogan and andre who would you pick like who would be hulk hogan in in regards to 2017 and uh big 10 football Honestly, I'd probably have to say because, you know, Hulk Hogan was the most boring wrestler out there. I mean, with his finishing move being the leg drop, you know. Let's not forget the big boot. Yeah, of course. Uh, Just not a lot of flash. He's Wisconsin. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, And on the other side, for Andre, I've got one of two. One is, you know... A bit of a, like, I don't know. I'd say Ohio State or Penn State. Ohio State because that's the team that's been there. They've had got a national championship in the playoff form. They, you know, were in the playoffs last year. Um, but at the same time, you got to maybe think, consider Penn State because Penn State uh, is, you know, undefeated and ranked higher. So that, but the fact that for me, our two selections there are on opposite divisions you know, likely to meet up in the, the title game works great for the main event. Uh, who is your Randy Macho Man Savage? Hmm. I'd probably say Michigan. God dang, that's what I was uh, going to go with too. They're easily, they're easily identifiable, you know, just like everyone knows Macho Man Randy Savage, you know. Have you snapped uh, into so, a yeah, Slim Jim lately? What was that? Have you snapped into a Slim Jim lately? I, oh man, I can't even tell you the last time I had a Slim Jim. <laughs> that's that's probably for the better. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lord knows what's in those. Um, I I was gonna say Michigan too because, uh, you know they're they're a bit flashy in in regards to at least their head coach. Uh, but like like you said, you know it's a recognizable brand. I mean, uh, everybody knows macho man and and still successful uh you know near near the top of the card um so in in that regard who would you have as ricky the dragon steamboat would you i i think i know who i would pick but i'm interested to see what who you would pick hmm you know 
I'm going to say Penn State from the standpoint, you know, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, I remember my brother really liked, you know, really liked uh, Ricky Steamboat and the fan, you know, people who were fans of him, kind of, it was a cult-like following, kind sure. of similar to the Penn State cult of Joe Pa. So, uh, yeah, Penn State. I would say Michigan State, uh, at least from this WrestleMania three card, um, because uh, Michigan State and Michigan always seem to have really good battles, even when one team is supposedly down. Um, and, and, you know, under Mark D'Antonio, a lot of times Michigan State's able to uh, able to rise uh, rise up to the occasion. So I, I'm, I'm going with Sparty there. How about the hot rod, Rowdy Roddy Piper? Honestly, I'd probably have to say Nebraska. Uh, just kind of. We're there, you know. Um, you know that, that's as a, I recall, Rowdy Rowdy Piper never won a you know world championship. You know, I think was he intercontinental championship? Uh, yeah, never at one at, point. At, yeah, at least never among the uh, ne- never among the main you know comp- the main companies. Uh, you know, he might have won in a, one of the smaller territories, AWA or something like that. We're getting mm-hmm. real deep cuts here, uh, but yeah, th- that that seems like a good one, and then. Uh, I'll I'll do this one because Piper's opponent at WrestleMania three was Adrian Adonis, and if you know, unless you really followed '80s wrestling, you may not know who Adrian Adonis is, and that's why I'm going to go with Iowa. A little bit forgettable. <laughs> a little bit forgettable. Yeah, that that's a good one. That's a really good one. Uh, just a couple more here because I think people who aren't into wrestling are probably, you know, ready to fire up the comment section and say you guys are idiots, which is I'm not saying it's wrong. Uh, how about the Hart Foundation? You had okay. Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart, mm. and we'll we'll count those as, yeah. as as one team. I'm gonna go just from the standpoint of the uh, close nature of the two between they're you know they're both Canadian. Minnesota, you know, Canada, they're Minnesota. That's fine. And uh, and while they uh, teamed with Danny Davis, nobody remembers him. Uh, so they faced the British Bulldogs. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. How about just I'm just I'm just making it up now. All the good ones, you know, we've pretty much gone through. <laughs> so uh, uh, British uh, British Bulldogs. How about Northwestern? That could be all right. You know? Yeah, I mean, they're problematic, pesky, you know. They rise up occasionally, you know, to some notoriety. Yeah. Just because we've got, I don't know, I, I'm not going to get into Brutus, the bleeping barber beefcake, for anybody out there who listens to another wrestling podcast, uh, uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. How about uh, King Kong Bundy? Hmm. You know, oh, this this one's tough. I've got one in mind. Um, although it's I'm been, gonna say Indiana. See, I was gonna go Indiana or Illinois, and 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 I would say uh, Illinois for Bundy because his opponent uh, in a well, it was a six man tag match, but only two of them were actual full grown, you know, human beings. Four of the other competitors were 
what was known at the time as midget wrestlers, mini wrestlers. But anyway, uh, Hillbilly Jim, I would I would put them as uh, Indiana because of the Hoosiers. So, yeah. Yo, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've never been to southern Indiana, but I think that uh, I've heard that it, that fits the uh, Hillbilly moniker. This is just a free plug. If anybody's ever, uh, you know, vacationing or driving, you know, from Nebraska to the East Coast or something like that, spend a little bit of time, like stop in southern Indiana, seriously, and uh, go to Santa Claus, Indiana, and visit Holiday World. It is a fantastic amusement park. Uh, It is clean, and it's free parking and free soft drinks, and the best wooden roller coaster I've ever ridden in my life uh, called The Voyage. Voyager, Voyager. I don't know. It was the best wooden coaster I've ever ridden, and I've been on a lot of coasters. Uh, So check out Santa Claus, Indiana, uh, and Holiday World. Um, We didn't get to all the Big Ten teams, but I'm I'm kind of bored with this myself now, and and that's how I think it's that that's how we know it's time to wrap up the podcast. What do you say, Hoss? Well, you know, if there was you know any mention of WCW in this, I know who I'd have to pick for Nebraska. Do, do, you there? Do, yeah, does it do his initials go woo? No, but it's very cl- close that you know, Ric Flair is a personal hero of mine. Okay, so, um, so who are you Arn, talking? Arn Anderson. That's a good one. You realize that that man hasn't changed? Uh, I mean, he, he has not yeah, aged I, in the last 30 years. No, he looks the exact same, and he has the all time great finishing move still, just that spine buster. That spine Best buster move. was a thing of, of beauty. Uh, we're going to throw that up in a GIF form on the post so that you can uh, understand and appreciate what in the hell it is we're talking about at the hour and a half mark of this uh, week's show. Uh, yeah, Double A. Uh, you know, in fact, he was, I don't believe he was the one who coined the term Four Horsemen, but I believe he it was he or Tolly Blanchard uh, who were the first ones to stick up their four fingers in a promo, and that's how you knew it was the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson. Um, oh, yeah. I love watching those old uh, promos from NWA and WCW, the Four Horsemen, and um, just the Ric Flair promos in general. You know, the, woo, mean, woo, by God, Gene. I always like the uh, 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 jet flying, limousine riding, <laughs> wheeling, dealing, kiss stealing, son of a gun. Woo. All right. Just iconic. We have lost everybody now. Everybody has jumped off. Yep. If you've made it this uh, far, if we had T-shirts, we would send you a T-shirt because you're a true, true fan, and we appreciate you. Uh, if you didn't already know, hey, you can uh, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher. Uh, if you subscribe on iTunes, you get it hours. That is right, hours before you'll see it on coordination.com. And all you got to do is go to uh, iTunes in the podcast app and search for Five Heart Podcast, same with Stitcher. Uh, find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. All the links every week are there at the bottom of the post. Uh, so we appreciate you listening, and uh, uh, we're here to remind you this week and every week, Hoss, that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Go Big Red and win the damn game. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.